If you have your Bibles, we, we are back in the book of Mark. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 6. So we took, a, we took a break to check out Ecclesiastes, and now we're back in uh, the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 6. Um, we are going to start together verse 14. Chapter 6, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one in the pew back in front of you. Crack that one open. Uh, We would love for you to open that one up with us. Uh, If you're in the blue Bible, we're on page 841. 841. Um, We would love that. If you need a Bible, take that blue one home with you. Please, please take that blue one home with you. Okay, after our vacation from Mark, we get back into uh, a, a story that is fit for the most um, depraved soap opera you have ever heard about. Okay? HBO wishes they had stories like this. Okay? This is fit for an HBO miniseries. We are going to experience today the absolute depravity of a family. You can't imagine a more sinful family than this. We're going to talk about a man today named Herod who is absolutely broken, despicable, and sinful. And so today, I feel a little extra qualified to preach on him because I am a sinner just like he is. Jesus' message in the book of Mark and His message everywhere, but Mark really hits on His message. And His message is this. We've seen this all throughout Mark. Just to help you remember, Jesus' message is this. Repent from your sins. Believe in the good news. Repent from your sins. Believe in the good news. We've heard that over and over and over again. And now we get to this HBO miniseries special drama of a family that shows us what it means to not repent from your sins. How far can sin take us from God? How hard can sin harden our hearts against the good news of Jesus? And so today we're going to read about this family. We're going to read about this man. We're going to see how sin is a prison. We're going to see how sin hardens hearts. And we're going to see how even the most sinful person has hope in Jesus. So, if you have your Bibles with you, let's read together. So this is big number 6, little number 14. So chapter 6, little number 14. Uh, Jesus has sent out His 12 apostles. They've gone around being missionaries. And so the news of Jesus has continued to spread and it even came to Herod himself. Uh, Verse 14 goes like this, King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had been known. Some said, John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, 
It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a great banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and, and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, when John's disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Wow, what a story. What a crazy story. What a sinful, what a wicked story. So King Herod is kind of the, the main player in this, in this drama. He's the center. Have you noticed, I mean, have you noticed is it interesting that, that Jesus, uh, we hear about Jesus and we hear about John the Baptist, these holy, righteous men, but Herod is, is the, in the center of the story. Isn't that interesting? So uh, a man named Herod the Great died. He was the ruler over Israel and he split his kingdom which was really under Roman rule. He was like a lesser ruler. He split his kingdom into parts and so his sons could all rule different parts of his kingdom. That all, that's kind of stuff always works out, right? When your family gathers for an inheritance, that always goes smooth. Is that right? Yeah, always goes smooth. smooth. And, and this guy thought a lot of himself and so all of his children were named Herod. And so... King, the first, the, the, the first time, Paul, so the first word in verse 14, king, should, we should think of it in quotation marks as an ironic jab at a wicked man by Mark who wrote the book. At the time of Mark's writing, Herod has been in the newspapers for a long time. Herod was a famous guy. Everyone knew that Herod wanted to be called king. Oh, he wasn't a king. He had to share it with all his brothers. He wanted to be a big shot. Everyone knew that he was humiliated in his pursuit of kingship. His wife Herodias, the one we read about, his wife Herodias will get Herod to appeal to Caesar, the real king, and ask Caesar to let him be king over Israel, over the country. How do you think Caesar took that? 
kicked them out. He banished them. It's all in the papers. King Herod and his pursuit of kingship, his wife badgering him to be a bigger man, got kicked out of the country. So Mark, knowing, writing after this event, knowing what Herod has done to Jesus and humiliating Jesus in his trial, puts a little jab in there. King Herod. Herod met his current wife, Herodias, while on a trip to Rome. And Herod, despite being married to the daughter of a neighboring king, Herod had an affair with Herodias, who was married to Herod's brother, Philip. So Herod divorces his wife, who's the daughter of a king. How do you think that's going to go? And he pursues this incestuous relationship with his sister-in-law. And as you can imagine, when the king's daughter is divorced by this perverted little man, the king declares war and goes and attacks Herod and handily defeats Herod in battle. So it's all over the newspapers. Herod divorces his wife, marries his sister-in-law, and God gave him a defeat, a humiliating defeat. This is the guy Herod is. So this incestuous, adulterer, prideful, title-hungry ruler comes when he marries his new wife who's his sister who was his sister-in-law comes back to Israel. He is ruling over the children of God who have the Bible. How do you think that's going to go for him? It's not going to go great. And so we have the last Merely human prophet. You know what I mean by that? Merely human prophet. Jesus is a prophet, but he's fully man and fully God. John the Baptist is the first, last merely human prophet. He sees this as an opportunity to teach about righteousness, to teach about sinfulness. And so what does he say? He says, you can't be married to your, to your brother's wife. And the original language makes it sound like this. He kept saying it over and over and over again. He wouldn't shut up about it. can't be married to your brother's wife. John is saying this because God's Word says it. God's Word says it. If your brother is still living, you don't marry his wife. You don't do that. Leviticus 20.21 says it this way, if a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. And they shall be childless. And so John is speaking out against this. And Herod, as we can kind of picture, he's a spineless guy anyway. Herod is afraid of John because Herod knew that John was a prophet of God. He's a righteous man. And Herod even enjoyed hearing John speak. What a mixed up guy. However, Herodias, his wife, who's willing to pursue his brother, his, her stepbrother and get married to her stepbrother. Herodias, the one who's going to push her husband for a higher title to the point where they get banished from the land. Herodias is bitter at John to the point of murder. Herodias is bitter at John to the point of murder. And so this woman will send her teenage daughter 
to go dance for a bunch of drunken men in hopes that she could somehow leverage that to kill the man who calls her sinful. And so Herod has a big birthday bash for himself. He constructed this grand palace and fortress in Israel, and that's probably where this was held because we know it had two dining rooms, two party halls, one for men and one for women. So it's probably what was utilized. The men were all in this one, and Herodias was over there, and she sends the daughter to come dance to these guys in the other one. And this place even had a prison, even had a dungeon. And so John is probably in prison underneath, and the party's going on up top. And Herod, as we see him do, title hungry, he invites all the bigwigs to his party. Herod wanted to impress. Then as they feasted and got drunk... Herod's probably 12, maybe to 15-year-old stepdaughter came in and danced for these drunken men. And the idea is, we, need to be th- we, we think through this, we think Herodias sent her in a way to manipulate the situation further. And her produ- pro- provocative dancing pleased Herod And in his drunken state, though maybe he wouldn't even have to be drunk, in his drunken state, he gave an oath in front of all these men that he had to impress. We love your dancing so much. Whatever you ask for, I'll give to you. So the daughter rushes away to the boss, her mother. What would you like? What should I ask for? Ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. She wanted the head of the man calling her out for her sin. She wanted him to be served up to her like a meal. A prideful, evil, cannibalistic image. The final display of wickedness from this incestuous, wicked family and spineless Herod says, I I can't look bad in front of all these macho men. So he does it. And John's disciples come and bury the body. This is a story of wickedness, of perversion, of depravity, of sex trafficking, of murder, of pride, of cannibalism. And this displays how broken and wicked our hearts are and how they can be. I think any of us to read this story and think, well, that could never happen to me, is not understanding our hearts. The Bible makes it clear that in a different situation, Herod could be any of us. Herodias could be any of us. As a believer, reading this disgusting story, and it should well up righteous anger in us, the real question we need to be asking, and what our hearts are hopefully asking now, is who is really in prison? Who's really in prison here? To understand God and to understand the depths of our sinfulness, to recognize what Jesus has done for us, when we read this passage, we should rather be John behind bars than Herod at the party. You with me? To understand God correctly, understand our sinfulness correctly, understand Jesus correctly, we would rather lose our physical head 
than lose our head watching our stepdaughter dance. To understand this story properly is to understand that the bars in the dungeon aren't the real prison. That sin is the real prison. That John isn't the real prisoner. Herod is the real prisoner. Herod thought John was in prison and he was free. But we clearly see in this story, and our hearts can clearly grab onto this because we're all sinners and we know these feelings. But we see clearly in this story that Herod was the prisoner to sin. And we get some insight into what sin is all about, what sin looks like, what sin feels like. The first thing that we see is the prison of sin silences the truth. John kept preaching at this couple, you can't marry your brother's wife. So the Word of God kept preaching that, preaching that. What do they do? They silence the truth. They throw John in prison. When we are in sin's prison, we are imprisoned by lies. When we are in sin's prison, we will do all that we can to suppress the truth about our sinfulness. We don't want the truth around us. We can get to the point in our sinfulness where we suppress the truth where we don't want church. We can suppress the truth in our sinfulness so much that we don't want to be around our Christian friends. We can suppress the truth so much that we don't want the Bible. We don't want to pray because these things just confront us of our unrepentant sinfulness. That cognitive dissonance of I'm living my life this way and the Bible says this, that's too painful. And so I silence the truth. And this is just the way sin works. Romans 1 says it like this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We even build up conspiracy theories and we try to trick our own mind in making excuses for our sinfulness. That's what we like to do when we, when we sin. Well, if only everyone knew what they did to me, then my sin, everyone would excuse my sin. If only they knew how hard I worked at work and they knew they didn't pay me enough, everyone would understand why I steal from work. If only they knew how mean my wife was, they would understand my affair. If only they knew what life was like growing up for me, they would understand why I treat people this way. Well, that might be true, but they don't realize all the good stuff I do. They don't realize all the good stuff I do. When we are in sin's prison, we have a desire to call good evil and evil good. 
The prison of sin, number two. The prison of sin is a prison of paranoia. I'm glad you asked. Paranoia is always feeling like you have to look over your shoulder. What does he do? Herod hears about Jesus doing miracles. What does he do? John is back from the dead. He's coming for me. He's coming to get me. He's coming to preach at me. We're always looking over our shoulder. Who will find out? How can I cover my tracks? Numbers 32.23 says, Behold, you have sinned against the Lord. Be sure that your sin will find you out. There's this conflict in the prison of sin that we know something is wrong and we're doing something wrong and we're always looking over our shoulder. Who's coming? Who's going to know? Who's going to find out? The prison of sin is exhausting because you're always hiding, always scheming, always lying, always looking over your shoulder. Number three, the prison of sin is inner turmoil. Verse 20, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. There's this inner turmoil in Herod that I know he's a righteous guy, and then I know he's from the Lord, and there's something there, and I want to hear from him, but man, I really want to be called a king, and I really want to stay married to Herodias, and I really want all these things. There's this inner turmoil. There's this weight of, of shame and guilt in the prison of sin, and it is crushing. Have you felt that? It is crushing. I'm a terrible person. What, what, do we, what, do, what will they think of me now? I'm a waste of space. Oh, my sin. Look how sinful I am. I'm worthless. And when we're confronted with this turmoil for so long, when it's battering our brain for so long, we can enter into survival mode and to deal with these things, we can make our hearts so calloused that we don't even feel anymore. King David, adulterer, liar, murderer, when he was caught up in his sin, you know what he says? He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. The inner turmoil may be a battle within myself to squash these feelings, try to tell myself, no, what I'm doing is good, and that inner battle is just raging. Don't we see this in our culture? This, this effort to try to tell people, no, what I'm doing is right, what I'm pursuing is right. These things that I'm all about is right, and it's your problem. And yeah, the reason I feel bad about it is because you. That I grew up in a Christian household, and, and so I'm really dealing with that. That's why I'm feeling like my bones are wasting away. It's because of the Christian home I brought up, and not because these are wrong. Do you, you, have you heard that? Number four, 
The prison of sin always leads to deeper, darker dungeons of sin. We see Herod, his pursuit of power, his pursuit of lust takes him to pursue his, his, his brother's wife. And then we see him, him lusting after his stepdaughter. And we see him end up murdering this prophet of God. We see him down and down and down. If we asked Herod as a teenager, and we said, do you think you're ever going to marry your brother's wife and lust after your stepdaughter and murder a prophet of God? Do you think he's going to go, yeah, I'd do that? No, he's going to go, cool, what are you talking about? Of course, I'd never do that. But sin will always take us further than we want to go, keep us longer than we wanted to stay, and dig you deeper than you wanted to be. And this is what, this is a terrible place to be, but this is how we get in these situations. We have our heart so set against God for a long time that we get calloused. And like we said, the callousness, we start to not feel, feel the, the, the guilt anymore and, and we kind of take a step further. And then that feels a little bad, but the longer we're there, it doesn't feel as bad as it used to. And then we take a step further and a step further. And this is what God is doing. He says, furthermore, this is Romans 1, furthermore, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what not ought be done. There's this big hill in my neighborhood, and we'd, all the boys in the neighborhood, if we were brave enough, we'd go to the top and we'd go zooming down, right? Like boys do. Zooming down. I remember one day I was just going faster, 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 trying to impress everybody, and I hopped up on the curve and slammed right into the house at the bottom of the hill. And, in my, and that, I, that comes to mind every time I read this passage. God gave them up to a depraved mind that these feelings of guilt that we have for our sinfulness are meant to move us toward God and repentance. And the idea is, I'm up on that hill and God is holding me back. I'm going, I, I'm, I'm heading down. I want to go down. I want to go down. I want to pursue these sins. And God is holding me back. And part of the ways He holds me back is my conscience. Part of the ways He holds me back is, is the twinge of guilt I feel in these sinfulness. And God's saying, I don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And at a certain point, God says, they don't acknowledge me. I give them up to the depraved mind. Eventually, God goes like this. And I go like this. He even says in Romans 1, as, they let him, as, he, as He lets them go, they even invent new forms of evil. Finally, number five, the prison of sin leads to an eternal execution. John the Baptist lost his head. Herod lost his soul. John the Baptist lost his head but Herod lost his soul. In our prison of sin, we are awaiting an eternal execution for our sins. Romans 2.5 says it this way, but because of your hard and unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. 
That's terrifying. Well, man, I'm not as bad as Herod. Maybe I just got a little bit of wrath coming to me. Herod's got a big, but maybe I just got a little bit of wrath. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death in hell. We're all Herod. When it comes to eternal execution, we're all Herod. God is so perfect and so holy and so righteous that He's going to punish all kinds of evil. Is that a good thing? Is it good that God is going to punish murderers, serial killers, rapists? Isn't that a good thing? But what if His standard is higher than ours? What if His holiness is higher than ours? And what if Jesus shows up and He says what He did say, that if you hate somebody, if you've ever hated somebody, you're a murderer. If you've ever lusted everybody, you're an adulterer. What if that's the standard? Which is the standard? Can you escape eternal execution then? I can't. So, every one of us has been put in that prison of sin. And in our power, we are helpless to escape. And the executioner is heading our way step by step, day by day. He's coming closer. Can anyone here claim that they've escaped the prison of sin and are living a perfect, blameless life before God? Me neither. Can someone here claim that they are perfectly loving God? That they are perfectly loving their neighbor? That they always do what's right? Even for Christians, Christian, do you do what you're supposed to do? No! None of us can claim to be free from sin's prison on our own effort. But God has provided an escape from sin's prison apart from living a perfect life. Isn't that good news? We've all just admitted to each other that we're not perfect. We don't have the perfect life. We're in sin's prison. The executioner's coming. We can't live a perfect life. And God, in His mercy and grace for you, has provided an escape apart from living a perfect life. He sent Jesus to break us free from the prison of sin. Paul says it this way in Romans 7. I love this. Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Christians, can I get an amen on that? I know what's right, but inside me I don't have the ability to do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God that He sent our Lord Jesus Christ. For by works, of the law. For by living a perfect life, he says, no human being will be justified, will be declared righteous and good enough. But the righteousness of God has now been manifest. Righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus breaks us out of the prison. Jesus gives freedom. The prison of sin silences truth 
Jesus frees us in the truth. When we follow Jesus, when we love Jesus, when we pursue Jesus, when we have faith and trust in Jesus, we trust Him to take care of our sins. We trust Him to bring us into the truth about ourselves. We trust Him when we see what God has delivered for us to wipe us clean of our sinfulness. We can, we can admit the truth about ourselves. We can be free to admit we're sinners. We're sinners. We don't want to be. It's not fun. It's not a good thing to be sinners. But we're sinners. And eternally, that's okay because Jesus came to save sinners. This, this truth sets us free from these lies. We are free to admit we are sinful. Isn't that freeing? Some of us have grown up, grown up in households where we're not free to admit we're sinners. Some of us have been part of churches where we're not free to say we're sinners. That you have to act a certain way or dress a certain way or say the right things to be accepted. But in Jesus, we have the freedom to say, I am broken. I am a sinner. I need Jesus. We are free to understand that sin does not determine our worth. Our worth is found in the truth that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. We have the freedom to be truthful about ourselves because we are in Jesus and He has taken care of us. And we can confess our sins. We can admit our sins because we are accepted by God apart from our sinfulness. 1 John 1.9 says this. Please tattoo this to your mind. Please tattoo this to your mind. 1 John says this. We have the freedom to confess our sins because He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome? We are free from the prison of lies because Jesus came and He's the truth. We, we don't need to be afraid of the truth. So when the, apostle, when, the, when the prophet John steps up in your life and starts saying, hey, Jordan, you're sinning. I don't have to put that guy in prison. I don't have to, I don't have to cut his head off. I can say, you know what? You're right. You're right. And I need to take care of that but I am taken care of by Jesus. The prison of sin is full of paranoia, but Jesus is freedom from condemnation and shame. Anyone feel shame when you sin? Anyone feel shame when you sin? I do. Jesus has come to bring freedom from condemnation and shame. Shame is the feeling of worthlessness when you fail. So shame of sin is feeling, the feeling of worthlessness when you disobey God. But Jesus has come and His intent is not to shame you. Jesus' goal is to never shame you. If you feel shame, that is not from Jesus. It's from between your ears it's from the world or it's from the devil. Jesus doesn't want you to feel shame. Jesus does not want you to feel worthless when you disobey God because your worth is not in the things that you do. Your worth is in your relationship with God through your faith in Jesus. God brings a gentle conviction of sin. That feeling, that voice in your head, you need to apologize to her. 
that voice in your head, don't, don't go there. That's the gentle conviction of God. The goal of our enemy, the goal of our enemy is to tempt you to sin. And then when you give in, to bring the full force of shame in your life. The devil wants to tempt you to sin and then tell you that you are worthless to God because of your sin. He is a smart enemy. Scripture says this, everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. Jesus is not interested in shaming you for your sin. Jesus is not interested in making you feel worthless when you sin. In fact, knowing the King of kings, Jesus loves you enough to die on the cross should make you feel tremendously worth it. Prison of sin is full of paranoia. Jesus frees us from shame and from condemnation. When I sin, I think, man, I've just blown it. God doesn't love me anymore. He can't love me anymore. I'm a preacher. I'm not supposed to sin. There's no way God can love me now. That is condemnation. Condemnation is the final, total, uncompromising declaration that you deserve punishment. And you are going to get punishment. That's condemnation. When we sin, we are guilty of treason against the perfect and holy God who is committed to cleansing the world of all evil. So guilt and condemnation are different. You see that? Guilt is the fact that you have sinned. You are guilty of sin. Condemnation is you will be punished for that sin. For Christians... Those things are separated. In Jesus Christ, those things are separated. You are guilty. And Christ was condemned. We have a great Savior. So Christian, don't hide your guilt don't act like it's not there. Don't act like you're better than everybody else. Because when you do, you're saying, Jesus didn't have to save you as much as everyone else. That steals Jesus of His glory. Self-righteousness steals Jesus from His, steals glory from Jesus. I'm guilty. And Jesus was condemned for it. Jesus came to earth and died on the cross to take the condemnation His followers deserve. Therefore, when we stand guilty, when we stand guilty before God, and we will stand guilty before God, we have an advocate. We have someone who will defend us. as Jesus. We talked about this in one of the Sunday school classes this morning. Jesus stands, is at the right hand of the Father now. He's in His resurrection body. The only thing that He's got left is the scars. And He stands at the right hand of the Father. So when the accuser accuses me of sin that I have committed and I am guilty of, Jesus Christ is there for God, the world, demons and angels, all the cosmos to see. Jordan is mine and I paid the price. 
Romans 8.1, no question about it, says it this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The prison of sin leads to deeper sin. Jesus is freedom from sin towards godliness. We are not saved by our godliness, but the evidence of being saved is godliness. Are you with me? Godliness does not make us be loved by God more. doesn't make us superstar Christians. It doesn't earn anything from God. Everything that we get from God God the Father has been earned by Jesus Christ. Are you with me? But when we are saved, we are filled with the Holy Spirit to pursue godliness. So do not hear me incorrectly. Sin for Christians is still a bad thing. But we have been free of condemnation of sin. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Not my works. We are God's works created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So following Jesus is freedom from hate, bitterness, and anger, and freedom towards love. Freedom from pursuing empty happiness and sin and towards real deep joy. Freedom from chaos and sin. Freedom towards peace of heart. Freedom from a hectic desire for self and towards patience. Freedom from a mean heart towards kindness. From an evil heart towards goodness. From betraying trust towards being trustworthy and faithful. From being brute harsh and harshly dealing with others uh, to gentleness. Freedom from addictions and habits and destructive patterns towards self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. And finally, the prison of sin leads to eternal execution. Jesus is freedom from eternal execution. One of the most tragic things about this story isn't in this part of Mark. One of the tragic things about the story is Herod meets Jesus face to face. Do you remember this story? Jesus is on His way to the cross. Jesus is being tried. will eventually be condemned to death on the cross. And Herod meets Jesus. Luke 23 says it this way, when Pilate, who is like the top dog who is going to be over the condemnation of Jesus. When Pilate heard this, he asked if this man Jesus was a Galilean. And learning that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. Part of it is probably because he's not John the Baptist back from the dead to come get you. He was greatly pleased. And he had wanted to see him for a long time because he had heard about him and was hoping to see him perform a miracle. Herod questioned Jesus at great length, but he gave no answer. Jesus sees what's going on here. He sees Herod's heart. Meanwhile, the chief priests and scribes stood there vehemently accusing him. And even Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing Jesus in a fine robe, they sent him back to Pilate. 
Ironic, the man who pursued kingship has the king of kings before him. Spitting on him, laughing at him, mocking him, mocking him by dressing him up in a kingly robe and sending him off to be crucified. What an irony that the truth was in front of him. That life was in front of him. That an escape from the prison of sin was in front of him. And instead of bending the knee, following Jesus, repenting from his sins, we have Herod mocking unrepentantly the King of Kings, the giver of life. And we leave Herod still in the prison of sin. My friends, the goal of sin is to build the walls of your heart so thick that you can't see and understand and follow and pursue and repent and be with Jesus. Instead of receiving the freedom that Jesus offers, He was rejected. Instead of the eternal freedom in Christ, we embrace, Herod embraced eternal execution. All who reject Jesus will face an eternal prison in hell. But Jesus has come, and that's not what He wants for you. So Jesus is calling to you. Christian is calling to you. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep fighting sin. Don't feel condemned because you're not condemned, Christian. Fight sin. Pursue Jesus. Non-believer, in your prison of sin awaiting execution, non-believer, Jesus has come and says, I am here to break you from the prison. I'm here to give you life, to give you freedom. Non-believer, make a decision today to follow Jesus.